Purposely Podcasts. We deliberately speak to social entrepreneurs, charity founders, and all-round awesome people to hear their founder story. A really warm welcome to episode 26 of Purposely Podcast and my guest, Dave McKee, who's the co-founder of the children's charity, Education for the Children. Well, thank you, Mark. Nice to be here. And a bit of context, I'm sitting in Auckland. It's evening for me and you're uh, in Spain, somewhere near Valencia, but more specifically, you are? In a little place called Moraira, which is halfway between Valencia and Alicante. Fantastic, and probably a good place to be right now. Um, looking back at Education for the Children, uh, Education for Children, the charity that you are the f- co-founder, which I think is really important, and CEO of, um, I was kind of jumping right at the deep end, really, and just how, how did you find yourself involved in the charity in Guatemala? What was the, the first call you got, conversation you had? How did, how did Dave McKee get involved in this? I took a phone call from my daughter who was on a gap year and the the agreement we had was that she would go uh, take a year out before going to university and she would travel and the agreement was six months of it she would do some charitable endeavors somewhere of her own choice and then she'd go traveling and she chose Guatemala and while she was um, volunteering at a small school in La Antigua, Guatemala, uh, it became clear that the school was in danger of, of having to close through lack of funds. So she called me and asked if, if I would, you know, is there anything I could do to help or anyone that, that I knew that might be able to help. Um, when we looked into it, it, it didn't seem to take an awful lot of money and an awful lot of effort. I think at the time, the amount of money that... Uh, the the school owed or was behind on was about five thousand dollars us dollars um and the gap to make sure that it stayed open was around about twenty thousand dollars a year which at that time because with the exchange rate was only twelve thousand pounds so it didn't seem to be a huge uh effort to say well let's get together and try and raise that money on an annual basis and we can do that probably with one successful event and that's how it started yeah, little did you know, Dave, 17 years <laughs> yeah. on. And were you nervous? Do you remember being nervous about Sophie going to Guatemala? Do you remember knowing much about the country? What was your sort of conversation with her at the time? I didn't know an awful lot about it. Um, so four or five years before uh, she went, she had um, seen a program on TV, which was about child poverty and child labor. Uh, and at that stage, she you know, said she would like to go there someday and she wanted to, to help out the children in Guatemala. I didn't think it would happen, but five years later it did. So I knew a little bit about the country. I, I knew maybe only enough to be a little bit worried about it being a, a little bit more unsafe than, say, England or New Zealand, but probably not enough in depth. So when she decided she wanted to go in 2002, uh, I asked my sister-in-law to go with her to check it out so she, she could come back and tell me uh, if it was safe enough for her to go. Um, so that's how I, I checked it out at that stage. Mm. And was it through one of these um, voluntary agencies that she did it through? Was that a formal um, agreement or was it just her off her own back searching out an opportunity? 
A bit of both. She, it was mm. her that searched out the opportunity, but it was through an agency that, that, that did all the checks and balances and made sure that that, that was safe. And, and they end up placing her in the school. Uh, they ha they could have placed her in different uh, types of work, but the, the one they chose for her because of her age and inexperience was, was in La Antigua uh, at a small school. Um, yeah. And at that point, you were working in the finance sector. And had you had much involvement with not-for-profits, charities, NGOs at that point, or was it this is a bolt from the blue? Bolt from the blue, really. Uh, I'd done this, the same as everyone else. I'd gone to charitable events, and I'd always supported charities where I could, but I'd absolutely no experience in how to run a charity, and, and when we decided we were going to create one, it was get on the internet and or phone other people who had done it and try and learn. Uh, it was a steep learning curve. Yeah, so that's you formed a foundation formally in two thousand and three, um, a year after Sophie had first first visited. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. she had gone to Guatemala. Um, I think in the January of two thousand and three, she had gone in O two to check it out with Carol, uh, and then left to go in in O three, and it was six months into her her time there that she called to say that you know there was a problem. So that would have mm -hmm. been the summer of two thousand and three. Yeah. And do you remember back then, do you remember your first visit? Yeah, I do. Mm. Um, it was um, a little bit, uh, probably two or three, four months later. Um, and I'd always liked the idea of going to Central or South America. It was a place I had never been. Uh, and so I was intrigued and quite excited to, to go and visit. And you have this idea of what a country is going to be like. Uh, and, and part of it is was borne out it was a little bit uh, like the dusty republic um a little bit behind the times in certain things but it also was an, an absolutely wonderful place to visit as well is it true that you trusted some people early on and and they uh, didn't do right by you that is true um the when the foundation was started, it was to support the small school that Sophie was volunteering at. Um, and it was run by um, a local person and he employed local staff. Um, and he had produced bank statements and, and proof of how he was spending the money. It was very authentic. Uh, so we supported him. And we even went back a year later and increased the support because each time you go there, you see something else that could be improved. And as long as it wasn't a huge amount of money, you thought, well, let's go back and try and, and raise that. Um, and I got a phone call about a year, maybe a year and a half after we'd started supporting them. Um, telling me that the money wasn't being spent where it should be spent and in fact this this uh, leader of the school was uh, taking the money and using it for his own uh, pleasure um, it was a terrible terrible moment as you can imagine because i had, had put some money into to stem the the, the, the leak of money before but then i'd also convinced lots of other people to come to events or to support the charity and effectively, this guy was stealing the money. Um, yeah, so it yeah. was an awful, awful time. Yeah. And I imagine, knowing you a bit, um, you complete transparency and you would have um, tried to put it right and, and really would have taken that personally. Would, would that be fair? Yeah, I, I, 
dropped what I was doing and went to Guatemala. Um, I got the news on the Friday and I got a play on the Saturday morning. Uh, I met with the head teachers and the staff uh, to uh, try to find out what, what the truth was. Uh, they confirmed that they hadn't been paid. They confirmed that the rent was behind. They confirmed that the guy had bought a car for himself uh, and was seen dining out all the time. Um, so it became clear um, that the allegations were, were true. And I arranged for a, a local uh, Grant Thornton representative to meet me at the school on the Monday morning and asked to see sight of the books. Um, the guy from Guatemala City, Grant Thornton, he told me within about five minutes, he said, this guy's spending the money on himself. The bank statements are falsified. Uh, it's even using the wrong logo. Um, you really need to do something with this. You need to withdraw your, your money from this and stop supporting this guy. Uh, I mean, so it didn't massive, take long. Yeah, massive well done for you though, for not completely walking away and giving up on a, the children and, and the country. Um, so you, you you sort of formed this foundation and you, at that point I've got you down as renting the, the very first school um, because some of the stats are quite horrendous, aren't they? So I think 80% of, of children in Guatemala will, will not attend or never attend school. Um, and you guys are really trying to do something about that. Um, was that the stats then and, and so still is or... Do you remember the size of the problem? The, the size of the problem is, well, it's as huge as it was, but the, Guatemala is improving slowly, but it's like trying to turn a tank around. You know, it is is getting there, but it's got a long, long way to go. Uh, I can't remember the, the exact stats. It would be wrong of me to try and, and quote them, but it was clear that uh, the, only the, the children from wealthy families got a chance to go to school uh, and even the public schools there were barriers to to people going to school because you had to buy your own books you had to buy uniform and that's beyond the vast majority of the people in the area so that is still the same today uh, although Guatemala is getting a little bit better all the time yeah fantastic and so you you embarked on a, a building project which I understand which is um, the build of of school of hope um, and you bought materials and, and employed local teachers. That was a key part of what you do. What was it like at that point? Um, you obviously, you know, firmed up your interest in this and commitment. Yeah, the, 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 the expanding of the commitment happened slowly and gradually. Um, and that, that was really down to uh, the financials. Uh, at the beginning, the leap from merely supporting a school to to running the school uh, in the rented accommodation went from a, a, a £12,000 a year to £50,000 a year overnight. And that's where we had to get a little bit serious. We couldn't just depend then on the odd event. We had to try and get uh, programs in place where we could uh, depend on, on regular money coming in. So that's when we started the child sponsorship program. Uh, and it, it's not new or, or, or smart, but it works. It's where you pair up individual small donors um, to children who join the school and they see them through the, the length of the stay at the school. Yeah, uh, but that was at a time we were still on rented premises, and and the premises, although they were a lot better than than the previous school, they were still pretty Spartan. Uh, and we had one computer, I remember, in the whole school in year one. We we, we had one in the in the office, and it was a, a donated 
you know, five-year-old computer. And you build gradually with the money because without the, the support of hundreds and thousands of people, we wouldn't have been able to do anything. Uh, so, so you don't attract them on day one. You do that in the journey. The journey you go through, people are attracted to what you do. Um, A couple of families that you draw on or stories that you could relate to us or our story. I guess there are hundreds of stories and, and um, you know, it, it's easy to get emotional about all of the stories. Um, and it's very difficult to tell an emotional story and, and stay dispassionate about it. Mm. Um, but th there are cases where, if I could generalize, because it's easier for me, where we've, we've had to step in to uh, rescue children who are being abused at home. Uh, there are children who have been abandoned where we've taken them in and found them foster families. Um, there are children who were stopped going to school because um, either parents or grandparents thought that in particular for girls, their place was in the home and the boys could go to school, but the girls shouldn't. We've managed to uh, talk the parents or grandparents around and, and bring them in and seeing um young girls graduate when they maybe joined the primary school at age of 11. I'm just thinking of one called Haiti, who recently um, has gone to university. She started um, primary school when she was 11 years old. We managed to accelerate her through primary school in two years, and then she went into the senior school. Uh, she passed her high school diploma. I think she was top of her class. And now she's in second year in um, university studying um, philosophy, not philosophy, she's studying um, uh, psychology. Uh, and she gave an interview to us recently where she told us a little bit you know, about her life and what it's been like and how she feels about it. And the reason she went into psychology is because she wants to help people who are born into the same thing that she was born into. And she actually said, I want to stop uh, young girls not coming to school. I want to get young girls to come to school and I want people to be able to come and talk to me the way I was given the opportunity to come and talk to the social services department at the foundation. Moving towards sort of wraparound care um, at that point, is that, is that right? And how did that operate? Yeah, it, it, it was, it started in 2006 and it's never really stopped evolving. Um, Every time we, we, we thought we had done something right and, and, and that we were improving the education and improving the situation for the children, we would bump into something else that would you know, be a barrier to the children either coming to the school or continuing in the school. Uh, it could be that, that when they finished primary school, there was nowhere for them to go. So we started the middle school. When the middle school grad, uh, graduated, uh, there was no high school, so we had to create scholarships for high school and then for university. So that the edu education side extended because of the fact that there was nowhere for them to go after they were going to leave what we had at the time. The other issues you've touched on there were, were there was medical, um, the medical service in Guatemala is limited and it costs money. There's nothing free. So if any of the children became ill in any way, shape or form, they couldn't come to school. Worse than that, they couldn't afford the medicine to try and get better. So it didn't 
cost a lot of money, but it didn't need the allocation of the money for us to set up uh, a medical help part of the charity. Uh, and similarly with the, you mentioned psychological problems, there are a lot of, um, uh, how would you call it without being too judgmental, there are a lot of, of um, social problems in Guatemala uh, with the, the, the housing, the, the broken families, the drug culture, gang culture. Um, and you can imagine uh, a young children growing up in that environment, frequently they'll need uh, to talk to someone about it. Frequently they'll need somebody to try and help them if the problems are bad. Uh, and the charity, the foundation grew by uh, creating a, a social services department that looked at that type of problem. Uh, we were re reacting. We were reacting to, to situations all the time. We didn't have a master plan. We didn't sit down with a blank sheet of paper and say, right, here are all the problems, let's solve them. Uh, we didn't see them coming. And then when they did come, we thought, we've got to try and do something about it. And clean water was one of those um, issues. And again, it didn't take a lot of money because, um, because the local companies provided water filters um, uh, so we had the receptacle with a water filter and the filter lasts for about 18 months and we provided every family in the foundation with a, a receptacle and a filter and in each 18 months we replaced the filters with with new ones and guess what the, the, the attendance at school rockets I mean you don't have people staying off because they don't have the, the, the belly problems that you would have associates with people without any clean water it was the same with the nutrition that the body mass index of our average kid was way below uh, the other schools in the area the public schools in the area uh, as an anecdote we, we tended to see that when we we played sport against the other schools the other kids were massive compared to ours so part of of trying to uh, to help with that is we we feed them twice a day when they're at school uh, if you're hungry, you can't learn. Um, if you've got a full belly, you can. Uh, so that started fairly early on, you know, the, the nutrition program. Mm. Yeah. And on a more personal level, so you're balancing through all of this time, you're balancing quite a full on uh, career day job and, and finance with, um, you know, effectively running this charity, charity 6,000 miles away, I'd say. Um, and this relentless, need because as you increase your commitment to those children and those families that you know the number you have to raise goes up and up um to probably two lines of questioning really what are your disciplines like how do you make that work and and have a family life and enjoy time with friends and i know you're a massive football fan watch a bit of football um and then also has that been a, sometimes been overwhelming that commitment um and at times you know you could have turned it off on if you're being selfish but you haven't um but yeah what are your what do you what have you been the disciplines how have you kind of made it all work i, I think common sense in, in anything is is that you know you can't do anything on your own you have to attract people around you who can support you and in the truth, after helping create the, the, the charity, my uh, brief was really just to make sure there were enough people in place that, that, to do the real work. And in Guatemala, that was to have um, you know, good senior staff uh, where you attract the, the best of the local um, 
talent. And it's the same in the UK. Uh, I didn't do this. It was um, the the people who were attracted to come and work to the, for the charity. And we had to raise enough money to pay them because although people will probably work for less money for a charity, they still need to be paid. But we've had long-serving staff long in Guatemala, long-serving staff in the UK, and, and long-serving trustees on, on the board of trustees. So if, if, if I could say that I did anything, it was to attract good people and then step back and let the good people get on with it because if they're doing that nine till five, I can get on with my normal day job um, and be there just to, to be a sounding board. The, the, the real important people are the people who came to work. Yeah. And how do you work? Are you, are you a list person? Are, you know, are you, you got to tick off all 10 things on a list before you finish the day. How do you kind of focus? I'm anal about lists to the, the point of being uh, laughed at. Uh, I have a list every day when I get up in the morning and I love scoring them off. I get a kick out of putting a line through it. Uh, and I even like to leave the same page uh, so that I can see that I actually have achieved something. So lists are the only way I can organize myself. And as I've yeah. got older and, and uh, become a little bit more senile, it's more important than ever to have a list uh, for me. Uh, I had to get that from my dad. I think my dad was a person that showed me lists. He always wrote lists out. Yeah. Sustainable funds to the level that we can promise each child who joins us when they come in in preparatoria that the if they stay long enough and they want to they can go to university so the sustainable funds uh, for that where we will need to in, we'll up our, up our game a little bit to to facilitate that mm. personally um, I I'm I'm young, but I'm old. Uh, it's one of those things where it depends on how you feel. I feel perfectly capable of, of carrying on for another five or 10 years um, if I'm wanted and if I'm, I'm still uh, capable of doing it. If I had to stop, there are people in place already that would be able to take uh, the foundation forward. There are able trustees who could step in uh, and step up to the plate and, and, and take this forward. So it's, it's definitely not dependent on me. It never has been. I think what I said at the beginning is all you do is you, you start something and then you facilitate it and, and you're the catalyst for other people to join. And there's a huge amount of, of talented uh, people that are involved with this now. Yeah. And any more calls from your daughter or recently um, that, you've, that you've just you know, had to commit sort of 17 years of your life to? <laughs> she um, she last year um, passed on the baton to Sarah. I remember I talked about Sarah Miller earlier, and she came uh, back to Europe. And so she's back in Europe on the second stage of her of her life. So she has become a trustee of the foundation, and and we tap into her vast knowledge of of what's going on in Guatemala. And, and I don't think she'll ever leave the foundation either. But she's now on a, a sort of governance thing, a trustee. Yeah, great. That's wonderful. She's still involved. Well, um, massive congratulations because I know from a personal perspective uh, how much you've done personally, but I also know that um, your absolute skill is getting good people doing good things. Um, but thanks for joining my podcast. It's been a real pleasure and, um, you know, hope to stay in touch. Uh, me too, Mark. And thank you for the opportunity to tell the story.
a massive thank you for listening to Purpose Your Podcast. I'm thoroughly enjoying bringing these stories to you. Visit our website, purposelypodcast.com. Join our tribe. Leave your email address. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please hit subscribe. Please leave a review. Really appreciate it. 